This is Agents Influence Podcast. People ask me this, they're like, which technology should I use? Like, which cloud? So, you know, do we go with Azure or AWS? I'm like, that doesn't make any, like, look at both of them, figure out which one actually suits your needs and your budget, whatever. But like, which one you choose, why are you talking to me about that? That's not a relevant conversation. And that's not gonna be the reason why you succeed or fail, because you went with one versus the other. So like, yeah, there's better technology and worse technology and whatever, but that's not really what matters because the best technology in the world is worthless if you're not gonna use it right. I'm Jason Cass and we're going to help you think differently, change your agency, change your finances, change your family, and in the end, we're gonna change an industry. Let's go. Hello, agents, as we try to say sometimes, all right, all right, all right. Here we are here at Agents Influence Podcast Conversations with who? Jason Cass. And today, I am joined by a double guest, which last year, last summer, I wasn't exactly sure. I couldn't remember. Um, Brian reminded me then. I just happened to ask the the uh, team, I said, hey, how many downloads did Brian get last year? I forgot to ask like what the date was. And uh, actually, it was the 12th highest, uh, most download, and I can't remember if it's like 1,800 or 2,800. Wow. I really can't remember, which I thought Let's was Let's just go with good. 28. Yeah, I, I, yeah. And, I, and I really can't remember. <laughs> um, I get numbers mixed up in my head sometimes. Um, so I can't say that. But the thing was, is it was really great as far as the 12th, because we put out like 130 some podcasts. So that was really good. It's the it's the show, The Power of Your Network. Cool. But it also shows that people share. We, you know, people, we know how many listeners, how many were new listeners um, on each podcast. It was really good. So anyways, I just, I wanted to bring him back, but actually I was sitting around waiting for the time. Like, you know, loyal listeners, I do. And Brian reached out to me and said, Cass, dude, I got volume two coming out of my book and I want to talk about it. Boom. So here we are. Hey, Brian, we just, you know, we just might make a summer out of this yeah. every year. You know what I mean? Bring <laughs> you back and that's what we do. So Brian, thanks for coming back, man. No, it's great to be back. Thanks for having me on. So I'm going to make people revert back to the other one on the iPhone, on the uh, win or lose or skill or luck. That'll give you another reason to go back. But there will be things that will tie back because this is volume two of this book. Um, so uh, loyal listeners, sit back and relax. So here we are, um, Brian. There's a couple things I want to talk about, loyal listeners. I, I put this down um, as I read some of his stuff. I don't, uh, you know, I don't do research on a lot of our people that I have on here, but he's kind of easy because I read his stuff and I watch his videos. So I kind of know his stuff. Um, he talks about mindset a lot. I think this is so huge. Loyal listeners, you've heard me talk about this. I think it's good to get him. Technology's important. Culture's important. All that, but mindset, I think, is huge. And then also, um, I want to talk to him about going from book to book um, and and how that looks and what's making his mind tick for the future of the industry. I'm going to quit here before I do, because uh, I am introducing you here, Brian, that I feel strongly that you and I have the same motivation. Sometimes we question it. Sometimes we may think, man, we are crazy for being so dedicated. And I think people tell us that. But this industry, right? Yeah, I can get I can get niche out and say IAs, 
But I, I understand it's the industry and we're an ecosystem that makes each other up. And uh, thank you for being and doing what you do to get out there and preach the gospel. Oh, thanks for that, Jason. It ain't easy. Yeah, but it's necessary. You know? But it's necessary. Yeah. Or I sometimes like to say it ain't easy being cheesy. But that didn't have anything to do with no, you. No, it's just it a cheetah. Do... Yeah. <laughs> it is. It is. It is. I actually watched that story of how they made all of Chester Cheetos. It's, it's actually pretty good. I think it's on uh, Discovery or something. Anyway, there we go. Off the rails already. So, so Brian, tell us about um, about what you've been doing since last year versus this book versus the other book. Yeah. And you've written multiple books. And I love the what I would like to call the pitfall. Um, remember Pitfall, the game where you would swing from one to the other? In between that, like what? What's that looking like? What keeps bringing these books up and then discuss where you were last year as opposed to now with volume two? Yeah. And because I, I mean, I think you're right to call it out. I didn't, I didn't go into writing volume one being like, all right, I'm starting a whole series now. I thought like, you know, maybe, but it was just, it was just called the future of insurance. There's no volume, anything. Uh, it was, mm -hmm. it was a need at the time after living on the carrier side and being an insure tech and, and talking to so many carriers is like, this is a really interesting moment pre pandemic actually. Um, where we need to talk about what's going on in the industry and, and sort of how we navigate that. And there was this this pressure from all these startups that a lot of the incumbents were facing. And uh, and I, I wanted to speak to that. What I realized okay. in the aftermath of it, you know, talking about the book a lot and, and great conversations with different people about it, there's, there's so much more to the story. And as I started to talk to some of these startup insurers, who were the sort of like, not the bad guys in the first book, but it was like, oh, it's it's them over there pressuring us and disrupting and all that. It's like, well, they right. have a story too. And um, I felt like things weren't, um, like it wasn't the whole story if we only told one one piece of that puzzle. So I thought it was Good really point. important to be like, well, you know, I, I keep saying this, uh, the grass isn't green anywhere unless you garden. So, you know, you can look at the stars and you're like, oh, they have it so easy because, they had a clean sheet and they don't have any of the legacy problems we have and they don't have any of the politics and the, right. this and the that. And it's like, well, yeah, but you know, they also don't have the assets that you have. They don't have, you know, 2 million customers already. They don't have three and a half billion in the bank already. Like they have to go out for funding anytime they want to do something. They don't have, you know, story after story after story. So it's well not said. as simple as that. Um, and, and they're not, those who are successful are not just successful because their sheet was clean when they started. Like that's not enough of an advantage to really be successful long-term. Like, oh, cause you started from scratch and you didn't have any of the baggage we have. Like, yeah, that helps, but that can't be the whole reason why you exist. Or at some point your, your sheet's gonna fill up and you'll look like everyone else and then why are you here? So I was like, we, we mm -hmm. have to tell that story too, is like, well, what's going on in the startup space? And just like with the legacy players, like what can we learn from that? What can we learn from the startups? And so it got to a point where just some more conversations, like with the first book, is like, I need to talk about this. I need to write something about this and bring these stories out because it's super interesting and doing that will benefit the whole industry. Um, and so then it was like- It will. And so the first one was kind of just yeah. real quick, keep, keep your mind right. thought where you are. Uh, the first one was about yep. incumbents, the loyal listeners, and this one's more about the yeah. startups, okay? More about, am I right to say insure tech, that type of stuff? Yeah, it's it's specific. So insure tech can can be a lot of different things. This is specifically insure tech insurers. So startup insurers here, um, and I use the word insurers 
to kind of cover a mix of carriers and MGAs because some of them have their own, you know, licensed carriers and, and uh, capital and all that. And some of them are actually MGAs backed by some of the legacy players. Gotcha. So, you know, there, there's yeah. a story in that, too. Yeah, there is. There is a story in that. So, so I, and so I'm, 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 I'm anxious because, um, I do have like three or four other books ahead of it, but I, I want to see that because it's funny now when you read the book the first time, you don't necessarily see, in my opinion, one versus the other. Yeah. You're giving an openness and a discussion to, Hey, do you realize this is here and this is how they're able to beat you. And here's the things they're looking at to do to not eliminate you, but to disrupt as you put in the, yeah. um, thing, but then they are right. There is a total another side to that. I really didn't put two and two together until you explained that there. So, so what was that like? Like, was there people that came to you and, and said, Hey, there's two sides here. Hey, I don't like what you said here or said there. You don't have to bust yeah. out any names, but anything that came to light that really clicked in that you needed to do this. Um, luckily, no one, no one told me that I was wrong or bad or, or any of that stuff. But because I didn't, what I didn't do is you're right. Like I didn't say it's one versus the other, or like mm -hmm. you're going to win or you're going to get killed by them. It's because right. I don't, I don't think that's accurate. And there is a lot of that. It's like, oh, you know, the, the legacy player, like the term dinosaurs, they're all going to be extinct. Like, no, they're not. And if they are, you start up founder X, like you're not the reason why State Farm would go out of business. Like, sorry to break it to well, you, uh, not gonna so. happen. Um, <laughs> like maybe it will, but not because of you. And there's a guy at ITC who, like I, I tell the story of this like insure tech insurer founder who was like laughing at State Farm and how backwards they are and he's gonna put them out of business. And I'm just like, dude, you're not gonna be here next year. Most likely, I promise you they will be. So, you know, and I just smiled and nodded, but so it wasn't, it wasn't about that. Although I did get some people who were like, well, you know, I think you're underestimating the power of some of these startups and that they are going to upend everything. And frankly, like I talked to some founders who I was interviewing to see if, if they would be in the book. And when I got that story is like the whole industry's broken. I'm the only one who can fix it. Um, so you need to tell my story. And I'm like, I don't know what the lesson is, is in that, like hire you. Is that like, mm -hmm. is that the takeaway for the industry is you're the savior? Um, yeah. So I wasn't interested in that, but I did get a lot of, um, you know, even if the startups fail and many of them will, cause that's the nature of startups, right? Like even if they right. fail, there's still something you can learn from it. And so I got a lot of curiosity from people. I got a lot of interest from people and from the startups, like we want to tell our story and, you know, we're excited and we see a purpose in what we're doing and we want to share that. And that's awesome. And from the, incumbent folks is like, well, you know, I, I'm hearing this name, like, what are they doing? And what's so interesting about that? And one of the things I saw coming out of the first book was kind of an awakening for some of the readers in, in some of those places where they felt kind of stuck and like, oh, we'll never change. They started to see a path to do that. And then there was a curiosity about, you know, I see these folks over here with like a weirdly spelled kind of name and like a cool looking website and an app like what does that mean what what can i learn from that um right and so that it was it was more like the curiosity to dig in deeper into the other side of the story so brian right now um from the feeling i'm getting and i've reached out to a couple friends over the last two three months it seems like to me that more of the capital um uh, more of the um uh, uh the venture capitalist they're 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 kind of coming back yeah. and saying we'd like to see a little bit of money yeah. 
And the reason I say that is, is because a lot of people that um, have committed to certain things in the industry, I notice have pulled back. And then when I talk to them, because I usually have pretty good relationships with them, they don't try to make it seem like it's dire straits, but it's the fact that now they're getting a little bit more pressure to start maybe not even turning a profit, even though that's the goal or you won't be a startup forever of more of, Hey, we need, we need to start seeing, you know, the, the, the income increase. Yeah. And do you see any of that? I mean, I know you have some, some ties behind the scenes. Yeah. So I think there's, there's been a, um, there's been an interesting journey in investment. Um, early on, there were a number of insure tech carriers who made a lot of noise, big splash, you know, big marketing efforts. And really like, I'm not going to name any of them, but it was like, I felt like they were all at every conference, even though they never sent anyone there. Cause it's all anyone could talk mm -hmm. about. And, uh, mm -hmm. if you look at their economics, those are not viable businesses. And it's not just because like any, any insurer who starts a new line of business or new, you know, a new effort it's gonna be unprofitable for a period of time. And not just because of startup costs, the acquisition right. costs, but small books of business can't smooth their losses. They're not mature enough. So you would expect bad loss ratios for a period of time until they hit maturity. And it's always a questionable, how big does it take before maturity sets in? Um, if you look at the economics of some of the earlier, not all, but some of the earlier insure tech uh, carriers out there, it's really questionable how they're going to survive without the excessive investment and um, the reinsurance capacity that they've been burning through. Those are not viable businesses without it. What's more interesting to me is if there's like a, a real reason why they need to exist, if there's a real advantage to what they're doing, then they still need to get through that. And then you could see why the business works out. Or maybe that's an acquisition target that like there is a story there. They just couldn't get the numbers to work because they didn't have the scale underneath them. And that's where like, uh, you know, I'm going to make up the names here, but like State Farm buys Lemonade. Like if Lemonade was a viable business, but couldn't make it work at their scale and their access to capital, then you could see why uh, someone who is in that steady state, Traveler, State Farm, whatever, might want to buy something mm -hmm. like that. It's kind of like insurance and Allstate. Like there's a lot of reasons why that made sense. And insurance was viable because they had bigger backers behind them with White Mountain. But um, ultimately that made a lot of sense to sit within a major carrier. When you, you yeah, go, I'm sorry, well, sorry. No, no, no. You said, you said something about burning through reinsurance. Yeah. Is that what you said? What does so that if mean? If your loss ratios are really unsustainable, someone's got to pay for that because you don't, you're not bringing enough premium uh, to pay for those losses. So if you're writing at a, you know, 300% loss ratio, um, three times your premium is going out as claims before you pay for anything else, your staff, your, your commissions, anything. Um, someone's going to pay those claims. Pay That's it. where reinsurance. Yeah, that gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. And that makes sense. Okay. I just wanted to, I, I, I had never heard that actual term. So I wanted to make sure that, uh, me and the lawyer. Yeah, it's the, the insurance that insurers buy. So insurers all end up selling part of the uh, the risk they take on to a reinsurer, which right. could be another insurer or a specifically a reinsurer like Munich Re, Swiss Re. And, and Brian, there are some out there that are animals in Africa that I know um, what they do is they, because they've told us, and I don't think it was uh, a privacy standard, it's how they work, they, um, they don't underwrite. Right. It's all going to reinsurance. Yeah. 
and they get like a certain cut of 25 or 30% yep. of the premium and then they pass. And it's amazing because they always end up coming back to the agent yep. eventually and saying, yeah, hey, by the way, we now offer through agents. And it's like, wait a minute, you know, but uh, anyways, <laughs> well, I, I love, I always love that. That's a whole story that. too. We love it. Um, yeah. So yeah. there's, there's MGAs, which is effectively a kind of broker. Um, and we, that's not a new mm-hmm. thing, but it's become um, a really common tool to start up one of these insurers that ultimately they want to get to be their own insurance carrier, but that takes a lot of capital. And it's uh, it's very hard to get uh, venture capitalists to put up a big sum of money to meet your statutory requirements for how much cash you have to have sitting around. Like VC doesn't like to put up capital to just sit there and do nothing, which is effectively what your surplus and your statutory capital has to do. Um, so you end up like selling way too much of your company to the venture capitalist, giving up too much equity. So you see an MGA model where it's like they're proving out that what they're doing, um, they are underwriting, but they're not holding the risk. So they're they're pricing mm-hmm. it, they're seeing their technology, their market access, all that. But a lot of a lot of the story, especially for the earlier startups, was we're going to be direct. We see this commission thing; it's the stupidest thing in the world. That's so inefficient. Um, we're going to go through the internet and. We're going to get these customers so much cheaper, and that's how we're going to beat everybody else. And then they get in the market, and they realize market access is really, really hard. And going direct is not Mm -hmm. free. It's super expensive. So you start to realize, like, oh, actually, the agent channel is a brilliant way to supplement this great thing we're doing that we just said was the only way to do it, and the agent channel is terrible. So so a lot of them have... uh, had these sort not all but many of them have been like and now we're also going to start appointing agents in addition to saying that that was never the right answer right hello loyal listeners hey are you a local agent struggling to find markets for your client maybe you maybe not Look no further than Nation Brokerage Solutions. With over 200 carriers, their comprehensive options give you what you need for your customers' ever-changing needs. With NBS, as they say it in the cool world, you can confidently offer a wide range of options to better support your customers and grow your business, A.K. agency. Don't settle for less. Do more with NBS. For more information about Nationwide Brokerage Solutions, visit NBS Brokerage dot com cast certified and we don't get mad at them brian it just kind of builds our ego a little bit you know and i heard a ceo say like in my second or third year he said agents relationships matter and you'll be here forever because if they could use a brochure at the time was brochure like 2002 2003 right before if they could use a brochure to sell the damn policy they would have figured it out by now and you'd have already been gone yeah and i'm not saying that we won't be here in 100 to 200 years but i talked with daniel burris who is a very very famous uh of futurist and he said it he said jason the future is relationships there's no ifs ands buts about that and as long as you're there and you use technology around that let's go over here to mindset real quick brian so in mindset that's something that you talk about and specifically there is an article i don't i don't know if you think uh if you if you're the one who said this but uh you think you're writing a book well this one was today actually but this isn't the one i'm referring to you're thinking about writing a book it's and it's a calling card for your expertise and impact and i think a lot of that is led by mindset so what do you mean when brian the insure tech leader trying to help us understand the future why is mindset so matter so much so i think actually it's all that matters 
Um, and people people ask me this, they're like, which technology should I use? Like which cloud, so, you know, do we go with Azure or AWS? I'm like, that doesn't make any, like look at both of them, figure out which one actually suits your needs and your budget, whatever, but like which one you choose, why are you talking to me about that? That's not a relevant mm -hmm. conversation. And that's not gonna be the reason why you succeed or fail because you went with one versus the other. Um, so like, yeah, there's better technology and worse technology and whatever, but that's not really what matters because the best technology in the world is worthless if you're not gonna use it right. And if that's you're not true. gonna deploy it effectively and empower your people to use it and all those kinds of things. So mindset, and to me, it starts with, right. and this is kind of like across both the books, there's one thing that, and I don't like being reductionist, but I do think this is the single most important thing. And it's the word hubris. Like how, how much are you setting aside whether you're right or wrong and your expertise? Like I mentioned that, that founder who was like, all insurance is terrible, I'm the only one who can solve it. That's a problem. His mindset is a massive problem because who wants to work with someone like that? Who wants to buy from someone like that? Who wants to, like that is not the answer. And how much of his mistakes is he seeing if he thinks he's the savior? And how many opportunities is he gonna catch that someone else is doing that maybe is a brilliant idea? He's not open to any of that. So if you come with an, an attitude of hubris versus humility, you're not gonna see your mistakes. You're not gonna see opportunities. Even if you know a competitor is failing and their economics stink and all that, like surely there's something interesting or useful in what they're doing. You know, if mm -hmm. all the rest of their business is terrible, but like this one thing that they're doing over here and how they issue payments, or you know, mm -hmm. how they they have someone who like gets on the phone with the customer in that tough moment, even though they're fully digital and like they're giving compassion or they're doing home inspections, like whatever it is. There's gonna be something you can take from them, or maybe it's in their failure. Like, well, why did they really fail? And don't just sit here and say, because they're idiots or they're this or they're that. Like, really look into it. What was the thing mm -hmm. that drove them to closure? Um, I think that's what's really critical. It's like, uh, you know, looking at another industry at the start of the pandemic, Hertz went bankrupt. And um, Hertz actually was one of the best performing rental car companies in a very tough industry. You can say, yeah. oh, it's because this was terrible or that, like, the actual reason was the uh, the covenants on the financing they used to buy the cars that they would then flip as used cars and the timing of those things. And it was like a really strange structure. It brought down the whole company, but it also gave them really good leverage in, in times that were more normal, um, leverage right. that helped them to beat out their competition. So can you take something from that? What, what right. could we use from that that helps us when times are good, but recognizing it can also turn around and bite you when times are bad? Um, you know, how would we structure this differently so we get the best without the worst? But that takes well, that as humility. an agency, as yeah. it is in, in hubris, uh, for everybody who wants to know, maybe that's the first time you've heard that word, maybe I've heard it before, but it didn't register success of pride or self confidence. Yeah. And so, I, I you know, I, I think, um, yeah, that, that that that's so huge in, in what you're saying. And I believe that the uh, excessive pride or self-confidence and not doing that goes back to who our society is of a caring and sharing and multitasking and understanding, you know, society that we're kind of working through. So I can see that now as agents, um, whenever we're talking about agencies and what can we learn from someone else, yeah. right? We can learn um, as agencies, as loyal listeners, that we look at the insure techs, we look at these startups, we look at them and say, oh, blah, 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 because they scare us and we, in our scarcity mindset comes out a little bit. But 
look how in times of crisis they're able to communicate in in, in a very effective yeah. way. You know what I mean? What part of the customer experience are they giving that mixed with what you do would be over and yeah. above what you do now and what yeah. they're doing, right? I think that's what Brian is saying. And, and you're coming from many different points here, but as loyal listeners, I think it's very, very valuable that if you just close your mind to some of these startups and tech companies, you're really losing the advantage of those who aren't closing their mind and are going to start to mesh that kind of customer experience. Would you would you say that that's correct, yeah, Brian? Yeah, I, I love the word mesh because I think that's what it is. Is there and and this is why I say like the grass isn't green anywhere. Is like the startups have a lot of really great things, but there's so many existing assets and benefits that they lack. And as an agent, yeah. what do you have Good that point. this fully digital distribution platform? doesn't have. And so what if you were to tap into some of the the digital enablement tools that are out there for you, whether it's to help you sell or to transact or to support or whatever, but you add all the things that you have. You have an office, you have a presence, you have relationships where you've actually met the people, you've seen them face to face, or you could see them if they wanted or needed to, and you can offer flexibility that someone else can't. And that's why you see, you know, when you see reviews of, of some of the startups that are trying to be pure digital, it's like amazing five stars for the folks who had really simple things going on where it was fully digital path. And then for people where it got a little trickier, it's like horror stories. And it's like, I couldn't get anyone. And once I did, they were totally unhelpful. And it's like, you're never gonna give that kind of human experience. So what if you had the digital enablement that gets all those five stars, but when times got really hard, you also had the human side of it that blows them away. And it's like, thank God, you know, Agent X was there for me. I just, I talked to them and they just took care of it. I didn't have to worry about it. It's like, I already had enough going on. You know, we had a tree fall through our house or, you know, we got sued. I didn't know what to do about it. And like, you know, John was there or Sally was there or whatever. Like they took care of it in a way that digital tools aren't going to be able to do when that empathy moment matters. That's where, that's the big differentiator for an agent. And that's why the channel is still there. That's not something you 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 don't digitize for empathy you digitize to take the the process and the pain and the kind of monotony out of it so that the empathy is all that's left and it gets it gets to get amplified but a fully digital like that's never going to have that opportunity which might be fine for some customers like i'm not going to say there's no market Correct. for that but there's a reason mm -hmm. why what 84.5% of commercial insurance still goes through agents and brokers and you know, a huge yeah, chunk of personal line still goes through it. And like, there's good reason. And I've been hearing that war cry since I started in the industry in 2000. Like people were like, have you seen this? The agents are gonna be gone, this internet thing. It's like, forgive them a couple right. of years and they're gone. And like, okay, well, we, we're still saying that 21 years later. We between 31 to 33% uh, market share for an independent insurance, uh, the industry uh, controls auto, yep. personal auto. It was 31 to 33% back in 2010 when the big eye made consumer agency portal and made that thing where you could get online. I was part of that organ that uh that 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 task force that started up that. And that was something we mm -hmm. were concerned about, you know, because and the thing was, I don't know if we've ever had mm -hmm. above that. And and I don't know if well, I mean, maybe we did before State Farm and Progressive and all them, but I I think that um, you're so right. And, and there's so much history there that people don't realize. Um, I do believe that uh, 
Uh, I was one of those five, six, seven years ago saying, if you don't conform, this is going to happen to you. I still think, Brian, we haven't seen the complete fallout of 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 the pandemic for insurance. I believe it's a delayed yeah. reaction. Um, I believe it's delayed because we can sustain things because a lot of us had growth and a lot of us have steady income. But I think there's a lot of people who um, there's a lot of people who realize they don't like their job and yeah. they're going to retire or they're going to re you know resign and go somewhere else. And I think there's a lot of people that did that in their food mm-hmm. purchases. I think that's a lot of people that changed their yeah. buying habits. And I believe that insurance to most people is yeah. buying something. And so I think that there was a lot of yeah. change there. I've talked to people who did move to us because we had an app. There was people who said, I never used your app and I'm so yeah. glad that I had it. Um, I, I just talked about my glove box app on with my glove mastermind is members is that I had two people. I had two people in the month of May that actually made an auto change and one um, paid their bill. Now, this is how antiquated this industry is, is that this is something we get excited about. Because this is not something that our, our our clients can do. Yes, if we have Erie, they can make their payment. Or yes, if they have Progressive. But yeah. that's not what I'm concerned about. I need right. one location, you know. And and that's the beauty of what these, these, these tech companies are tackling yeah. those issues. And ah, it makes our industry yeah. so much yeah. better. It really, truly I, does. I think, I think you're right in that we haven't seen the full impact on the industry yet. Um, I think there's more to come. Mm-hmm. I think we've seen a lot, but not everything has happened yet. And I think yeah. if you look at what people do for work, um, that's another place that's going to be really interesting is the nature of work. Anytime there's a financial crisis, the nature of work changes. This happened in 2008 um, where okay. you know I was, I was yeah. at uh, Beasley. We were doing a lot yeah. of tech uh, errors and emissions. This is before the cyber days. And a lot of the things that, or tech and, and miscellaneous you know as well, and a lot of the things that people put on as their professions changed. Or we get a claim and we're like, that's not what you said you're doing. Like, oh, well, you know, because I had to pay mm-hmm. my rent, so I also started building websites on the side. Like, wait, that's a different exposure. Um, now what we see is like people lost their job or they don't want to do that anymore. They don't want to go into an office or, or whatever. So yeah. uh, the nature of work and how you do it and what employed means is changing. I think the whole gig thing took a bit of a shock when people didn't want to get into a stranger's car that other strangers had just been in. But there's a, like t- food delivery skyrocketed. Uh, restaurants became kind of commissary kitchens that just do delivery now. Like a lot of things have shifted. So what does that mean for the insurance coverage? And that's You're an right. interesting one where there's there's change brewing in what some of that small commercial coverage looks like, uh, moving away from the annual policy that may be too, too long of a, a, a term to stay in touch with what's going on with the business and the owners want more flexibility. So I think for agents, to be mindful of, uh, like there's a company I talk about, Thimble, that does an episodic. So like you're a photographer, you're just shooting for four hours, that's all you need coverage for, switch it on, switch it off, or you do a monthly subscription. Um, are, are you playing in that space? Because the nature of what's being insured, whether it's my work or my assets, is changing. And I think that's something, in addition to the digital tools and and being you know with an app and whatever else, like kind of digital interactions, you also want to think about what your product suite is and um, being mindful to what's going on in the economy, which is what leads people to need insurance in the first place. And how am I responding to that? And how much mm-hmm. do I understand that? So I, I tell people, like, get curious about how the, the nature of what we do is changing 
beyond our own industry and insurance and think about whether your solutions are fit for that purpose. Maybe it's a, a change in how you talk about it. So your, your marketing message when you talk about coverage is different, or maybe it's keep your eyes open to some of the new kinds of products and ways that they're being delivered so that you get to play in those rather than getting surprised by them. Could not agree more. Wrapping this up, Brian. Uh, do you, you know you're maybe it's you and your boo and you're watching Hulu, getting your kicks on Amazon Prime and kicks on Netflix, right? Spending your time on Amazon Prime. What are you watching? What is Brian when he's shutting down the brain when he just likes to veg out? What is he watching? What show? What series? Um, I've gotten into like uh, kind of sp- spy might be too strong of a word for it, but kind of I, I like action, so like, like spy ish kind of shows. So I was watching Fauda. On Netflix, I think it was on Netflix. Yeah, it was amazing. Uh, spell that. F A U D A. Okay. It's uh, it's about uh, a unit of the Israeli Defense Force, and um, it's a really, uh, it, it got a lot of attention because it was very honest. Like it wasn't all pro-Israel. Like they show actually some really tough treatment that maybe is not you know above board um, of prisoners and Palestinians. So it was a pretty honest Good take stuff. on it, I'm but uh, really well that. done. Um, I don't know. That's that's the thing I just finished. So all right, I want we'll to watch that. Yeah, um, yeah. I'll tell you, it's a little wild and crazy, uh, but it is action. But there's a there's a story, bunch of storylines. Is uh, Animal Kingdom. Uh, Animal Kingdom was a really, really, really one that I wouldn't think that I would like, but I did. So, so let me think about out there, loyal I'll listeners. Just out. got done with that one. Leaders are readers, and readers are leaders. Now, I know that you're a leader, so you must be a reader. Um, besides your own books, uh, what are you reading out there, man? Um, when I read other books, and I, I don't read my own other than I editing them, um, okay. I, I tend to read like kind of personal development, self-help stuff, things that'll inspire my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, I have been building up a backlog, I will say, because I was like head down getting this one turned out. So I have a, I've a number of, of great friends who put out some really interesting books. Um, so there's a couple I need to read. One of them I just picked up uh, and I, I can't remember the title of it. I think it's Extreme Entrepreneurship. It's a friend oh, of mine yeah. who's basically been traveling all over the world. He's a business school professor and um, just digging it. I mean, kind of like my approach, like digging into the case story, mm-hmm. um, bef- these founders' journeys. And uh, so I'm, I'm really fascinated by that. It's always good to see stuff outside your industry too, but it's kind of the leadership lesson more so than like, it's not a hardcore business book. I think it's really fascinating stuff. Check out if you put it in your backlog. Maybe you read it, Atomic Habits. Brian, Brian no, Atomic I'll Habits. check it out. I've heard so many people tell me about it. I finally, Brian, Brian I got to tell you, I'm 90% way through this book, and it is absolutely beeping amazing. And he right. talks about it's just not about how to form habits and stuff, it's about the mental makeup of why this is happening mm. and how, I mean, you start to realize that your whole life is a habit. You, you yeah. do your whole life is a habit and the whole reason for your life to be a habit is so that it can be motivated to be lazy. I'm being serious. Like, yeah. like, no, it's like, it. yeah, like your body wants to try to be safe. It wants to just sit in the house and do nothing because yeah. that's what it does. And successful people have to learn how to understand that. And so when you really, really think about the way he lays it down, it simplifies it. And Mm. it's one of those books that as you're reading it, like you think of your own self and you're like, shit, I do that. And that makes sense why I do that. You know, I like those books that, that are, that really get you. So Atomic Habits is one 
I got to tell you, it's been a while, uh, not since uh, uh, Malcolm Gladwell is the same. I read anything he reads. You know how he yeah. breaks shit down? So does this guy on Atomic right. Habits. Really, I wrote it down. Really I'll put it in my list. So anyways, Brian, thank you very much for joining us, dude. I really, truly do. Um, where can people find you? I mean, besides LinkedIn, is there any website they should go to? Yeah, so I'll direct them to future-of-insurance.com, and the dashes matter, unfortunately. Um, that's where they can find out about the book and you can get to me through there as well. Man, that's awesome. One more time. So with the dashes, future dash of dash insurance.com. Boom, boom, boom. I'm spruce. I appreciate it very much, Brian. I really, truly do. And for all you loyal listeners, you know what I do because I do it for you. I love every one of you out there. Tell me your thoughts and tell me your ideas and I'm going to tell the world what you have to say. This is Cass. He's Falchuk. We're out. Hey, agents, listen to this. Listen to this. What are we terrible at? Think of it. Think of it. Really? We're, we're terrible at training, right? We're not very good at hiring. We're not very good. Terrible at firing, actually. Uh, terrible at creating process and some workflows. Terrible at technology and implementing that technology and even knowing what type of technology we want. And the list goes on and on. Now, listen, I'm an agency owner. And I, you know how it is to, to fix a problem. The first thing you got to do is you got to admit you have a problem. Here's what you do. Go to virtualintel.com. Check out what we do because we do all those bad things that you can't do. Really? And you may do one or two of them well. Good for you if you can do them all. Just want you to know you're in the minority. But if you can't do any of them good or you don't even want to do them anymore because it just takes too much mental power, then good for you for realizing that and give us a call. I'm telling you, virtual intelligence, that's what we do. And where we specialize in high quality VEs, not virtual assistants. Look it up. Go to ChatGPT. Put in what's the difference between a virtual assistant and a virtual employee. Enough said. I don't have enough time to go on and on about all the differences on this 60 second commercial, but you've got time to search it and look at it. That's what we do. We deliver high quality VEs. We mix the technology with it. We train them on the technology, give them and the technology to you and you're off to the races. I'm not joking with you. You can call my agency at any time, ask for Lordland. And we do ask her, say, how fast are you able to do quotes? I've actually got a couple videos of it. That's right. We can do five to 10 carriers in one quote in three to seven minutes. So you give me an auto quote, I can do five to 10 carriers in three to seven minutes. How are we doing it? We're doing it through the technology of virtual intelligence. Give us a call, check us out. You can ask for me personally, I'll do the demo for you. Who are they? Cast certified.